and welcome to mini episode three of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? We're going to get straight into the stories in just a little bit of time. Before we do that, the lovely girls at Nightgeist Podcast, Erica and Deanna, asked me to play their promo. Now, we've played their promo before, but unfortunately... They didn't have the spelling of their podcast in their promo. And actually, their spelling uh, is a little bit tricky. Yeah, I mean, tricky. we're lucky. We've got real-life ghost stories. That's that's a pretty pretty easy yeah, spelling. You I can't get mixed real up. quite a lot wrong. Quite. Anytime I'm typing it, I... Oh, like, you know, the amount of times I've nearly set up, like, um, usernames and stuff where I've spelled it wrong because I've been typing too fast. But Nightgeist is obviously trickier than real-life ghost stories. It is. So... Go and listen to Erica and Leanna, and we're going to drop their promo here. Do you enjoy the strange, bizarre, and unknown? Bigfoot, ghosts, and aliens? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Erica. And I'm Leanna, and we're the Night Guys Podcast. That's night, G-E-I-S-T, one word, think poltergeist. We bring you the lighter side of horror weekly by asking the questions no one else asks, like, is Mothman just lonely? Do aliens run if you throw rocks at them? Is Bigfoot just a small guy with oddly large feet? Can you actually befriend a ghost? We cover it all, including weekly weird news. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. You can also find us on Patreon for additional content. We are Nightgeist. We'll pour a glass of wine and wait for you. Cheers! And we're back. Are you ready for some stories this week? I am. What a great promo. We have got two stories for you and our first story comes from amy and i i owe amy an apology i always go on and on about how i read the stories in order and if you email in a story i'm gonna read it and blah 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 blah. and then i didn't read amy's story that was just rude wasn't it i mean it was rude and then so i i said somebody emailed and i said oh how far are you in the stories and i said i'm reading the stories from august now and amy was like I sent mine in May. Oh, wow. You really missed it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't even find it. I, like, I genuinely don't know where it is. I must have deleted it at some point. But anyway, Amy, I'm sorry. So how and are you reading it? This is your story because I got her to resend oh, it to okay. me. <laughs> this story is about the house next door to my mom's house. The things that happened are so hard to explain away. And I feel it's definitely paranormal. The house was built in the 1950s and was lived in from the time it was new by the same family. There was the dad, who my family knew as Old Jim, the mam, and the son, who we all knew as Young Jim. About 20 or more years ago, the mam died in the house. She was in her 70s. And a few years ago, Jim died in the house when he was about 90 years old. Young Jim, who was actually in his 60s, so not that young anymore, was left living alone for the last few years. The house was so outdated and had probably never been changed since young Jim was a kid. It didn't even have central heating. Around Christmas time 2017, my mum said that she had noticed Jim had been really quiet. She normally heard him every morning raking out his fire. She just assumed that he had gone to visit family for Christmas. A few days after Christmas, she got a knock at the door and it was Jim's family who lived away. They were concerned because Jim hadn't been answering his phone and they were calling so they drove a few hours to check on him and he hadn't answered the door when they had knocked. They asked if they could borrow a ladder to get over the back fence and my mum went with them to help. They managed to get into the house and found Jim dead, face down on his bedroom floor, which was a little room upstairs in the front of the house. 
Because there had been no heating, his body was pretty much as if it had just happened, even though they actually think he had been there for a few days. A few months later, the family sold the house to a woman who bought it cheap as a project for her and her sister to do up and sell on quickly. She then sold it to a family who weren't from the area, so had no idea about the history of the house. We found out she had actually lied to them and told them she had bought it from an old person who had been put into a nursing home. I don't know if I blame her really. Who'd want to live in a house where someone had just died? The new family had a little boy and a little girl. The little boy goes to the same school as my little boy and my niece, so my sister and I speak to the new owner in the yard sometimes when dropping off the kids. They'd been living there a few weeks and knew it was our mam who lived next door to her. One morning in the yard, she started to tell us really weird things that had been happening in her new house. But she wasn't really scared because she knew no one who died in there. My sister and I didn't mention anything about Jim and his family all dying there as we didn't want to scare her when she had just bought the house. We asked her what kind of things were going on and she said her little boy kept saying that he could see a man in his bedroom every night and was really scared. She said he would point right behind her saying, there he is ma'am. She also said the lights kept switching on and off and that one day she was smoking a cigarette in her outhouse which was joined onto the house and she felt something touch her face and swore she saw someone in there with her when she was actually alone at the time. Me and my sister thought that was really strange because Jim had been a heavy smoker and also smoked in the outhouse. He spent loads of time in there. My mum had also noticed next door's dog barking like mad all day and all night, which could have been caused by other things, but they do say animals pick up on things like ghosts. One morning at the school, one of the other parents told her about the house and that she had been lied to by the person she bought it from and that actually three people had died in there. She asked me and my sister about it, so we just told her everything. She seemed to take it pretty well, and a few days later, she told us that she had gone in one day and said out loud, Jim, we live here now. It's our house, so please don't bother us. She said she felt a bit stupid doing it, but was willing to try anything to get rid of whatever it was doing all of these things. A couple of weeks went by. They were busy sorting the house, so they hired a skip. They found an old rolled up carpet in the cupboard of the room that Jim had died in and threw it in the skip. This would have been the carpet that Jim died on. And the strange thing is, once they threw that carpet away, it was the only thing that had been in the house from the time Jim lived there. They never heard, felt or saw anything again. Me and my family had said when Jim died that we could imagine him haunting the place and not wanting to leave. We really believe his spirit was attached to that house because he had lived there all his life. Interesting. Fucking kids, man. I'm at, yeah, I don't. I just don't even know how I would... I just couldn't... I wouldn't be able to deal with my kids saying that. I'd shut them in a cupboard down and I wouldn't... I don't you would though, really, wouldn't yeah, you? Would. Yeah, you would. Or I'd just leave the kid in the house and move out. Like that couple in America? Yeah. Who were like, oh, that child is actually 42 years old. Yeah, yeah. Dump them somewhere and yep, leave. Yeah. Oh, man, it would freak me out so much. So much. Because they probably do see things as well. Like, they probably do. It's probably not just the kid messing around. I mean, and if there is oh. an afterlife, it must be so hard to let go of yeah. the life that you've lived. Absolutely. So A- hard to let go. And it's probably, kids probably see him because it's probably the closest point 
to death, isn't it? Like they've just been born, and the, the ghost has just died. So they're the if you yeah, no, I know what you cycle, mean. They're like the closest yeah. to each other. But oh man, I could not put up with that. But I like the idea that this ghost was attached to a carpet. Not that physically attached to a carpet. Very Aladdin-esque. Yeah. Like it's, a whole new world. <laughs> but it's like it's the last remnant of the old furniture. So maybe what what they were experiencing was, um, what's the word? Imprint. What's that? You know, Residual residuary. energy. Yeah. Maybe he just really didn't like the new carpet. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah, just left. It's like I'm passing on now. I can't deal with this fashion choice. Sorry. Are you ready for a new story? Yeah. It's got kids in it. I'm not going to tell you that. Mm. But this story comes from Renee. Hey, Mama of Shrimp Mama. Yes, the Mama of Shrimp Mama. So Renee is Shoe Girl Renee on Instagram. And she has pet shrimp. (laughs) And she has two shrimp called Emma and Dan. Which, yeah, which have five brothers and sisters. Which have five brothers and sisters. And Shrimp Mama very sadly passed away. And it was a very RIP Shrimp Mama. Maybe this story is about Shrimp Mama haunting oh, the tank. Ghost shrimp. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a new one, isn't it? Yeah. Are you ready? I am now. My father was in the US Army and we lived in officers' quarters on Fort Wainwright, Alaska in Fairbanks when I was in grades one to three, which is roughly six to eight years of age. The home we lived in was rather small and had a semi-finished basement that was a spare bedroom, playroom and storage. My brother was just a toddler. It was essentially my playroom for my larger toys. Half of the basement was a storage room that was behind a locked door and I would have reoccurring nightmares that I was trapped in there with something and would often wake up quite frightened. I'd never in my life sleepwalked up until this point but my mom would often find me sleepwalking down to the basement and would have to come and get me to direct me back to bed. This is how all horror films start. Yep. I'm already traumatised. Yeah, I'm also very grateful that the I know we've lived in a house with a basement, but it's not very common in this country. I'm very glad. After we moved out, I've never had any other instance of sleepwalking to this day. For whatever reason, it was only while living in this particular house. One afternoon, I was playing with toys downstairs and got a chill and the overwhelming feeling of being watched. I looked all around and didn't see anything, but couldn't shake the feeling and ran upstairs terrified. After this, I avoided being alone downstairs and luckily my father was transferred to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, and we moved. While in San Antonio, we lived in historic housing. They were beautiful homes with original hardwood, screened-in porches and a lot of personality. It is also true that everything is bigger in Texas. The rats, the roaches, the hair. (laughs) We lived there from grades 4 to 6, which is roughly 9 to 11 years of age. I would often get the feeling of being watched or think my little brother had snuck up on me only to turn around and find that there was no one there. There was a spare room and half bath off the kitchen that was the creepiest place in the house. Once when I was walking past, I saw what I thought was someone hanging from the doorway. My mother would often hang shirts on hangers to air dry and I looked back expecting to see that it was a shirt or a dress but there was nothing there. Nothing. I had clearly seen something or someone hanging from the doorway that made me stop and turn and check it out. There were a few times that I thought I'd seen a person in the room on the bed and went in thinking it was my little brother only to find no one there too. After that, I usually went out of my way to use the bathroom upstairs even though it was inconvenient. 
During the summer of 2001, before my senior year of high school, I worked for a family-owned sandwich shop and bakery in the Lewiston Centre Mall in Lewiston, Idaho. This would be the loosest definition of a mall since one of the anchor stores was a Rite Aid. We're talking one step up from a strip mall because there was a J.C. Penney and Bon Marche, which was eventually turned into a Macy's. My job was to let myself into the mall and get the shop open around 5am to start the day's breads, cinnamon rolls and pretzels and set everything else up for the day. It was just me and one lone security guard in the whole mall until it was open for the mall walkers who would come and take laps around the mall for exercise before any of the stores opened for the day. I would start the coffee and open the front of the store in time for them to come and have their morning coffee at the end of their laps by 7am. The kitchen was a small galley style kitchen but I was able to see people walking in and out as I prepped. One morning I saw someone walk into our restroom. I said hello to them and that I would be right out. It was not uncommon for some of the walkers to come and use the restroom and wash their hands before grabbing their refreshments and sitting at one of the tables outside the store. I finished up what I was doing and came to help the patron but they were still in the restroom. I busied myself with some front of store set up and they'd still not finished. It was now at the point that a person would be done using a restroom for any reason, so I went to the door and knocked to ask if they were doing okay and see if they needed any help. I got no response, and fearing that something had happened to the retiree in there, I tried the door handle. It was unlocked and I opened the door to find it completely empty, with the lights off and no one in there. I clearly saw someone walk into the restroom and never come out. Just then a group of walkers came in for their morning coffee and I asked if any of them had come in and apologised if I had missed them. But they said they were the only ones walking and no one had left the group. When discussing this with co-workers, many of them said they had experiences of seeing someone walk into the bathroom or sitting at a table, who they acknowledged. And then when they went to help them, they had disappeared. The most frightening occurrence happened when I was at the store alone, prepping in the galley kitchen. We had an old fridge with a faulty seal, meaning that the door would not often seal correctly. It wouldn't swing open, it would just fall open by less than an inch, letting all the cold air out. On this particular morning I was at the sink washing dishes when suddenly the fridge door flung open with such force that it slammed into the wall next to it and a five pound container of frosting literally flew out of the fridge in an arc and landed right next to my foot roughly five feet away from the fridge. I've never screamed so loudly in my entire life. Yes, the door had a faulty seal, but the amount of force that the door opened with and the distance and arc in which the container of frosting travelled has no logical explanation. I was thoroughly losing it and luckily a co-worker came in soon thereafter, but from that morning on I blasted my copy of the Cranberries to the fateful departed until another living co-worker joined me for the day. Had I not started working an afternoon shift when school resumed, I would have quit. My first college paranormal encounters happened during my freshman year while spending time in Riddenbow Hall. Riddenbow Hall is the oldest brick building on campus, constructed in 1902 as a women's dormitory. It was designed in the Renaissance Revival style by architect Willis Ritchie and has been on the National Register of Historic Places since 1977. After the hall was no longer used as a dormitory, it was annexed by the College of Letters, Arts and Social Sciences, with the first floor used as an art gallery and the second and third floors as music practice rooms and School of Music faculty offices. 
Due to its age and location, it is naturally the centre of many paranormal stories, some verified and some most likely fantastical. A cellist is said to have died on the third floor, a little girl was reported to have died in the basement, and a young woman supposedly hung herself in room 225 in the 1930s. I wasn't able to find any reports substantiating these stories, but this does not necessarily rule out the possibility that some or all of these instances did occur. There have been many reports from the custodial staff about their experiences while caring for the building. Many were more common occurrences, such as fingerprints reappearing on freshly cleaned windows when no one else was in the building, footsteps running up and down the stairs, doors shutting, and pianists seemingly disappearing. In an interview with the school newspaper, one of the custodial staff shared a personal encounter. The staff member was quite fond of a beautiful tigerwood piano in one of the rooms on the third floor, dubbing it My Piano. One day she went to check on her piano and found it missing. Suddenly she heard furniture moving in a locked room on the second floor and went to investigate. As she unlocked the door she found that she had to shove past some resistance to open it and there she found her beloved piano. She also mentioned that the activity in the building heightens when stress levels are running high for students, such as during midterms, the Christmas season and near concert town. As a young music major, I would spend much of my time in Riddenbow Hall practicing. Not always able to fit these practice hours in during the day, I may or may not have snuck in through an unlocked window on the first floor to get some extra practice in after the hall was locked for the evening. There was no alarm system and it wasn't difficult to wiggle in as long as the hedges were trimmed. I would like to add that I was far from the only student to do this and the university finally installed an ID card access to the back of the building that allowed music majors to swipe in after the main doors had been locked during my junior year. My most memorable experience in that hall happened on one of those nights that I and a friend had used the window as access to the building. We were on the second floor when we heard footsteps coming up the stairs from the first. Expecting to find another student on a late night practicing mission, we waited, where we were down the hallway from the landing to see who it was. We soon realized that there was no one there once the footsteps reached the top of the stairs and paused. Suddenly a blast of cool air rushed past us and down the hallway as if someone had just run past us. My friend and I took one look at each other decided we didn't need the extra practice that badly (laughs) and promptly left the building. Other than this one more forceful encounter, I always had a general sense of unease the further down the building I went. The first floor always made me feel a bit uneasy and I would often rush or run out the front door as I left day or night. A group of friends and I decided to poke around and see what we would discover in the basement, but I wasn't able to make it more than halfway down the stairs due to an overwhelming feeling of dread. It wasn't until years later that I learned of the reported death in the basement. I often heard movement or playing down the hallway or above me during my after-hours practice sessions, but now I wonder who or what was really there with me. The second major paranormal encounter I experienced while a student was off campus. I moved in to the Elysian apartments with my best friend and her adorable Shetland sheepdog in 2005. The complex had run through several owners and names by the time we moved in and was in varying states states of disrepair. But it was the only complex that allowed pets that was also in our meagre price range. 
the complex was originally opened in October of 1948 to accommodate the influx of students on the GI Bill and their families after the end of World War II. Before the construction of the complex, the site housed 150 trailers and surplus buildings from the campus of the Manhattan Project B in nearby Hanford, Washington, which were used as vet villages until the permanent structures were built. The experiences my roommate and I had didn't begin until we settled into the apartment for a few months. Many of our experiences were physical in nature and centred around the kitchen and dining areas. Up to this point, I'd heard Sidney bark one single time. He was one of the sweetest, most calm and loving animals I'd ever met. I definitely never heard him growl or saw him bare his teeth. One evening as the three of us were on the couch watching television, Sidney whipped his head to the dining area and produced the most menacing guttural growl I'd ever heard. His teeth were fully bared. We both suspected someone outside had aroused his response, but could find no cause for his behaviour whatsoever. It was as if he was looking at someone sitting at our kitchen table, but no one was there. This continued on a fairly regular basis until the activity began to be more physical. One day I came home to a fairly rattled roommate who told me she had been cleaning the kitchen. She left the room to redeposit the cleaning supplies in the hall closet and when she returned, every single cabinet was perfectly opened, 90 degrees, just like the sixth sense. It is important to note that these particular cabinets could in no way fall open by themselves. Original to the facility, they were either Raymond Lowey or Sears steel cabinets with a fastening system that locked the cabinet door in place and required some force to open and close them as they were quite stiff. A few days later, we were both in the kitchen prepping a meal when we heard a crashing sound above the range. We were both standing within a foot of the range since it was a rather cramped kitchen and we were baffled. Absolutely nothing had fallen and there was nothing cooking in the oven that could have made any sort of noise. I flung a dish towel in the general direction of the noise for who knows what reason and we decided we were done with food prep for the night. After my roommate moved out a few months later, another moved in. I was at home alone studying in my room when I heard a huge crash. It sounded as if the metal shelving we used to hold our canned goods and other foodstuffs had come crashing down and I expected to walk into a huge mess with cans flung this way and that. When I went to assess the damage, not a single item was out of place and I could find no source of the crash whatsoever. As suddenly as the activity had started, it just seemed to stop. The final experiences I have are small and may not even be paranormal. When I was in my first semester of grad school, I woke up in the middle of the night to see someone hovering above me in bed. And then they screamed and lunged for me. I immediately shot up and ran to turn on the light, but no one was there. This could have been me coming out of dreaming, and I'm sure some might argue that it was sleep paralysis. But I've never in my life experienced sleep paralysis and immediately shot out of bed, which is contrary to the descriptions of sleep paralysis that I've read or heard. It has also stuck at me for the last 10 years. I can still picture that face lunging at me exactly as if it had just happened. My final story is from a few years ago. My husband, daughter and I were all staying the night in a hotel on a quick family vacation. The person in the room above us seemed to be rolling something back and forth across the floor 
or opening and shutting a dresser drawer. At first, I assumed that it was a child or a pet, but it persisted for the entire night. I woke up multiple times in the night and heard the noise each time. The more I think about it now, the weirder it seems. People do weird things in hotels, but this seems almost too weird. Mm. There you go. There's our stories for today. Interesting. Was someone murdered in that hotel above you? They were just rolling the body up in there. All carpet. night. How big was the body? Maybe they were just trying or different positions. How many positions. bodies were there? Maybe they were just trying different positions for the body. Maybe. Maybe they were. Like the best one to get it into the car. Or there's something. I wonder if you. I was just kind of expecting them to go, oh, I checked with the, the hotel or the motel clerk and there was nobody in the room above us. But that well, we didn't get that revealed, did we? No, sorry. Um, I think that Rene. It's quite open to the spiritual world. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like it? Like, oh, so many stories of so many different experiences. And they're all, they're all quite like little experiences, except for the fucking cabinets being opened. If that happened to me... And the face coming out. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was quite... I literally just read it two yeah. seconds ago and I forgot about it. But you know that scene in The Sixth Sense where yeah. all the cabinets are opened? Like, if that happened to me, I would be like, okay, gotcha. Pack my bags, leave. Wouldn't even there. tell my housemate I was leaving. I, just I don't know like, if you would, I've though. I feel like you'd just be angry. Maybe I would be. I'd be like, oh, come on. I'd be ripping all the cupboards off the, yeah. the wall. I'd be like, you can't fucking open doors now, can to you? To be fair, that would be a good way around it. You'd yeah, that's true. take all the doors off the hinges, and then it would just start launching stuff out of the cupboard, wouldn't it? Oh, I couldn't be bothered with launching stuff yeah. out of the cupboard either. That would be very annoying. Um, yeah, creepy, all of it. And the uh, haunted auditorium as well was a bit weird when they were up on that. Or down on that floor when the, they had the cold rush going. Yeah, that is interesting, them. isn't it? Because there are all those little things that you would kind of go, no, maybe it's in my, maybe it's just my imagination. But then when you have so many of them throughout yeah, your life, so it's many. just like, oh, for fuck's sake, just leave me alone, damn it, just leave me alone and let me look after my shrimp babies. I didn't like the the thing hanging in the door either. No, that's. But I was awful. like, because. I was like, oh, that's really creepy, like someone hanging themselves. But then I was like, maybe they're just like swinging. Swinging from the doorway. And then I was like, that's still really creepy, even if that's what it was. That's still traumatising. Yeah. So either way, yeah, I can see why you do shrimp a bit safer. Yeah. Shrimp shrimp farming is far safer than shrimp over ghosts. all of this paranormal stuff. Didn't that's a phrase I never thought I'd say. I think that sounds like a merch phrase. Shrimp over ghosts every day. And those were our two creepy stories. Listener stories this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. You know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram, real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. You can find oh wait, hang on. I did not say that right. You can find us on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You can find Dan on Instagram. At 50p Movie Club. You can send us in your story to Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Real Life Ghost Stories. And on that note. There's some merch as well somewhere, isn't there? Which we never talk about. We never talk about our merch. We do have merch. Yeah, there is stuff if you want to buy it. Sometimes people like post mo- merch photos on Instagram and other people are like, what the fuck? Yeah, Where did that come from? We don't from? ever talk about it. It is there. It's available. You can uh, also find our merch if you want to Redbubble and look for Real Life Ghost Stories podcast. And that lady as well. She's got some merch with us on it. Oh yeah, our Christmas merch. Yeah. Oh, uh, look, I'll just... just have it, a look on the Facebook Yeah, group. you'll find it. If you go onto Instagram, 
click on the link in my Instagram bio. It'll bring you to all of our merch. There you go. And on that note. See ya. Bye.